so. You know, it looks like Jesus would take care of Sunday, but we got spring break, we've got time change, and we have snow. <laughs> so you get an extra gold star for being here today. So, uh, I mean, uh, everybody else is at the grocery store getting milk and bread. <laughs> <laughs> My friends who are mathematicians tell me that math is the language of God. That you can take any situation and find the mathematical formula that will explain everything about it. Did you know that there's a mathematical formula for beauty? Did you know that? Somehow I get, I get the idea that that was figured out in a middle school boys class somewhere rather than some uh, learned professor at some college. Uh, according to my friends, if you have the right variables, if you have the right equation, then math explains it all. I guess that's where we get it from. This idea that we can explain everything if we just had the right formula, that if you have A, plus B equals C, then if you understand that, then as long as you can identify A and B, then you can always have C. Or if you have C, then you know that you've already had A and B. Life is a formula. Life is math. And it frustrates us to no end when we can't get math to add up in our life when we can't get the equations to work. Most of my marital counseling is explaining to guys who have an engineering built, uh, ilk that, that, that their wife is not a computer. And when you hit A on a computer, A comes up. When you hit A on your wife, who knows? Your wife is not a computer, only to have the guy look at me and stomp his feet and say, it would be easier if she was. Life is supposed to make sense. Life is supposed to add up. It's not that we go through hard times, is it? It's not that life gets rough. What bothers us most is it doesn't make sense. The disciples were dealing with such a math problem with Jesus in the ninth chapter of John. Jesus' answer? <laughs> Boys, you have to figure in grace if it's ever going to add up. Stand with me in honor of God's word. As he was passing by... He saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, so that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's work might be displayed in him. Now we must do the works of him who sent us while it is day, for night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said these things, he spit on the ground and he made some mud from the saliva and he spread the mud on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. 
And so the man left and washed and came back seeing. His neighbors and those who had seen him as a beggar said, isn't this the one who used to sit begging? Some said, he's the one. Others said, no, it just looks like him. But the man kept saying, yes, I'm the one. So they asked him, then how are your eyes open? This man named Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and he told me, go to Siloam and wash. And when I went and washed, I received my sight. Well, where's Jesus now? I don't know. Skip down to verse 35. Now Jesus heard that they, the religious leaders, had thrown the man out. And when they found him, he asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, that I might believe in him? And Jesus answered, you've seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking to you now. I believe, Lord. And he worshiped him. You've seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking to you now. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. For some of us, we are the man born blind. Our life was a train wreck and it suddenly turned around. We can't explain why these good things have happened. Others of us are like the Pharisees and we're trying to figure out what box we can put you in. All of us, we're blind, are blind. All of us need to see, help us. And we pray this in your name, amen. The disciples thought they were asking the right question. You've been around people like the disciples, who, people who don't know anything, but have read just enough articles to have a few of the words. And so they try to throw those words out saying, if I say these words, then people will think I'm really smart. This is that conversation. Hmm, Jesus, did this man sin or did his parents sin? that he's born blind, this man. Notice what the disciples did. They turned the man into an object to be discussed, a lab animal to be researched. In one sentence, they took away his humanity. This man doesn't have a name, he doesn't have a story. He's the man born blind. He's the man who is the result of somebody's sin, the bearer of somebody's punishment. Now, the disciples, in their largeness of heart, were willing to say this man didn't sin. Maybe it was his parents. Since he was born blind, that means he would have had to sin before he was born. That's a tricky theological question. Well, maybe it was his parents, but somebody messed up. Somebody got what they deserve. That's the way life works. Do a bad thing, get a bad thing. The disciples have walked up onto the man. He has a bad thing. Therefore, somebody must have done a bad thing. We have to make life make sense. 
Whose fault is it? We want somebody to blame. We have entire industries in our country that do nothing but find blame. It's your fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. I talk to people for hours and they want to know whose fault it is. And you know, nine times out of 10, even when you find out whose fault it is, it doesn't help. Okay? It's his fault. Doesn't change your reality. It's her fault. You still got to deal with your stuff. Whose fault is it? We want somebody to blame. We want somebody to be responsible for the pain I am going through. And Jesus' answer, it's nobody's fault. It's not this man's fault. It's not his mom's fault. It's not his dad's fault. This is a bad thing that just happened. No, that doesn't make sense. Life has to make sense. Who says? There's no verse, there's no chapter in all of the Bible that says, and therefore your life will make sense. No such verse. We forget what Paul reminded the Ephesians. We do not fight against flesh and blood. There is a reality called evil. Now, however you want to describe it, darkness, Satan, whatever, there is a power that works against the work of God. And you don't have to watch the news long to realize that there are things in our world that are just evil. Sin is so destructive, so damaging that it wrecks the chromosomes of our lives. It fouls up creation. Most of us harbor little sins and we'll say, this is my little private sin. Quote, it's not hurting anybody. I'm the only one who knows about it. I'm the only one who does it. It doesn't mess with anybody. And I tell you all the time, sin is like kudzu. You can't plant it in just one part of your heart. It will grow until it covers every part of you. but you think you can play with it and you have no understanding of the power that sin has. It's not final power, it's not ultimate power, but don't think it doesn't have any power at all. It's nobody's fault. This is what happens in a creation that is rebelling against God, innocent people get hurt. But every circumstance of brokenness, every situation of suffering is an opportunity for God to show who he is. 
Now, don't misunderstand this passage. Don't think God caused this so he can tell you who he is. Don't think God blinded this man so that at this point of his life, he could cross roads with Jesus, we could have a miracle story, and everybody could believe in Jesus. That's not what this story says. This story says every time there's brokenness, it's a time for you to figure in grace. Every time it doesn't add up, it doesn't make sense. It's time to figure in grace. The story is not about a man born blind. The story is about a savior who came to heal. So Jesus does one of the most peculiar things in all of the stories of Jesus. He spits. Now, folks, there's no way to translate this in any other way. He spat. Now, that's gross. <laughs> Come on now. When you're a little boy, you learn to spit. Okay? The big boys will take you out in the backyard and they will teach you how to spit because you're not a man until you learn how to spit. And it is a shameful thing to not know how to spit well. But the first thing you learn about spitting is don't. Once you learn to spit, don't ever spit again. Don't spit in front of your mother. Don't spit in public. Some, town, some towns have laws about spitting on the sidewalk. Okay? And now in the age of COVID, no, don't. You'll probably do jail time if you do. Okay? Just don't. There's no way to make this sound better than it is. Jesus spits in the dirt. Now, he spits enough in the dirt that he can make enough mud to, clothe, to cover this man's eyes. Now, you're reading this passage. What does it make you think of? Where else do we have stories of God playing in the dirt? Creation. Do you see it? Jesus giving part of himself, taking the handful of dirt and recreating these man, this man's eyes. Now, Go wash your face in the pool. Now, go get baptized. And the man makes his way over to the pool. Probably somebody guides him and he washes his face and he opens his eyes and blinking through the dirt on his eyelashes, he sees his hands in the water and he's healed. He goes back. And his friends don't know him. Good friends, huh? 
Good friend, what happened? You know what happened? We got used to this man sitting in the place. He wasn't the man born blind. He was the beggar at the corner. He always sat there. He always wore the same clothes. That's where he fit. You know, sometimes you don't know people because you see them in the wrong place, right? Yeah, I see you on Sunday. I see you Thursday in the gym. I see you in the wrong place. And you dress a little differently in the gym than you do here. He's usually standing down, sitting down. Now he's standing up and somebody says, hey, isn't that the guy born blind? Somebody else says, no. Nah. How do you know? Well, the guy born blind, blind. This guy's not blind. That's how you know. And the guy's saying the whole time, it is me, it's me. No, nah, you're blind. No, I can see. I tell you all the time, Nothing messes up the church any more than when Jesus starts saving the wrong people. Okay? Now I've got a guy who was born blind, who we had the math equation worked out. Now he's messed up the math, and we've got to figure out the new equation. So we call in the experts. The religious leaders come. Were you really born blind? So this guy's been pulling a con for 40 years. This guy is so good at this con that he did it before he started talking? Yeah, I was really blind. They didn't believe him. The religious leaders went and got the man's parents. Is this your son? Yes. Was he born blind? Yes, but he's not blind now. Not our fault. <laughs> Not our, we, didn't, we didn't do anything. And the Pharisees got so mad at him that they ran him off. Do you know one of the hardest things about some of our friends coming to Christ? They lose all their old friends. Do you realize this? Okay, you have a friend who's an alcoholic. The friend becomes a Christian, doesn't drink anymore. Guess what? All his friends still drink. He gets lonely on Friday night because all his friends are drinking and none of us in the church want to be his friend because why? Well, no, you know, we've got a reputation. We don't want to be seen hanging around drunk. And guess what happens? You eventually fall off the wagon because they're not strong enough to do it without community. Okay? This man is in that no man's land of having a significant encounter with Christ and not having anywhere to go. He can't be the beggar anymore. He's not blind. What's he going to do? He doesn't know. And Jesus finds him. You see that? You would think the story would say that the man went person to person asking everybody in the area, where's Jesus? Where did you see him last? Where did he go after he talked to me? That's not the story. The story is when Jesus heard 
that they'd thrown him out. Jesus found him. Now, can you imagine being one of the disciples telling Jesus, you didn't do our friend any favors? Why? You healed him, yeah. Well, the Pharisees went off on him, and they threw him out. And Jesus went and found him. I tell you all the time, the good news of the gospel is not that you can get to God. The good news of the gospel is that God in Christ Jesus has come to you. I found Jesus. No, you didn't. Jesus wasn't lost. You were. I was. The shepherd finds the sheep. Do you believe? If I could just see him. Get that man born blind, came back seeing. Do you believe if I could just see him? And Jesus smiles and says, you already have. It's me. I believe. Now for you and me, that word belief usually means hope, wish, think. For this man, it is a commitment. I'm putting my weight down that you are who you say you are. Now, how did it happen in this man that this good thing had happened, something he didn't deserve? Because see, according to the formula of life, you have to do something good for something good to happen to you. If this man didn't do anything, then how did something good happen to him? Some of you are stuck right now because you're trying to figure out what you can do to Jesus so you can cash in your good deed and find some manner of grace and forgiveness. Somehow you've got the idea that this thing we call faith is like collecting green stamps. Do y'all remember the old green stamps? You know, you, you, your mom would shop and when she would go to a certain store, she would get, and not only she'd get the change, she'd get a whole bunch of stamps back and she had books and she would put these stamps in and you were always going through thinking about she's going to get you a new bicycle. No, she was saving up for an iron and you thought that was a total waste of stamps. You think the same thing. If I do enough good things, then I get enough stamps. If I get enough little stamps in my book, then I'll be able to turn that in and I'll be able to call on Jesus for a favor. There aren't enough stamps in the world for you to call God in on anything. If your life's going to make sense, you're going to have to figure in grace. You're going to have to understand that this trap you're in this addiction that has you is an opportunity for God to show you how powerful he is. Not that he did it to you. Because if this was your story, when we got to that part, whose fault it is, the story that the way the story would have to go is you and I would have to say it's my fault. 
I'm here in this train wreck of a life because of the decisions I made, choices I made. It's my fault. This is a chance for you to figure in grace. For you to come up with a whole new formula, a whole new math by figuring in grace. No, we don't get what we deserve. And I know there are some times that you want there to be judgment. We want mercy for ourselves, judgment for everybody else. Can we just stop right now and praise God nobody gets what they deserve? Huh? Can we just praise God nobody I know what I did. I know the mistakes I made. I know who Christ is forming in me. And it doesn't make any sense unless you figure in grace. My friends who are mathematicians tell me that math is the language of God. I guess it might be, as long as you figure in grace. Let's pray together. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I don't wanna do anything to put you on the spot or embarrass you. I just know there's some of you struggling. You're You're struggling to make your life make sense, to figure it all out. And you know, you just need to figure in grace. What's broken in your life is a chance for God to love you. What's messed up in your life is a chance for God to heal you. Whatever's wrong in your life is a chance for God to show you how big he is, how strong he is, how good he is. I know that doesn't make any sense, but you have to figure in grace. If you want to know more about this conversation, we'll be waiting for you at the Welcome Center. It's a big room over to the left. As soon as you walk out of here, turn left, you'll see us there. I'll be there. Other ministers will be there. We want more than anything to talk to you help you explain to you who Jesus is, what he can do, what he has done, what he'll do for you today. However you need to come, the church is waiting for you where you are. Christ is waiting for you where you are. Lord Jesus, every life is now before you, every heart. So we pray the choices we make now are exactly what you want.